0: Oh, we might as well start because Dave will have to bounce so um can I get can I give you guys an impression at the beginning
1: <laughs> go for it. who we're we gonna get
0: you, you can pick do you want me to be Jeffrey Verdias Schofield Mike Israel or Omar Isof
1: I think we should go to Omar even practicing those
0: <laughs> yeah okay so it's a little bit early for me I woke up a bit late but um although you guys woke up earlier. Uh, <laughs> Isn't it like two o'clock? In the oh, evening, no, I, no, I mean, so I, I, I've I, been up for a few hours, but like I'm, I'm a very slow waker on the weekends. So, um, yeah. Uh, okay. So what's cracking, guys? Today we have a fantastic podcast episode with Brian, not to be mistaken, with Brain, although he does have a Brain he is the truest muscle brain in the group, and not in a bad way, because his brain is all organ, not muscle, because he can help individuals to get jacked. And then we have Dave, the dentist of the industry, and he's the kind of dentist that is not boring, doesn't wear glasses, and is beautiful. My testosterone levels just spiked by a thousand points just by looking at him. Dave, my man, back to you. What's cracking, guys? How are you? <laughs> Happy to be here. That was well, the, not way very you, good.
2: the way you laid that out, Omar, I mean, you've just set the table so perfectly for this discussion that we're about to have, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, I was thinking we, uh, we are like nickname in our group is the cast boys and yeah. given our past podcast, I think we should be called like the hat boys. Cause we're like, <laughs> we would be three for three. I'm missing mine today, but Brian's got two. So that's why we're covered.
2: Yeah, it's super cold here, man. We were at like 85 degrees and sunny two days ago, and then we got six inches of snow, and now it's like 32.
1: Oh, wow. Ooh. Yeah, yeah well, you we guys had um, are you Speaking in Fahrenheit, it's always true. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It's All
2: like right. we can speak kilos and pounds, but not Fahrenheit and Celsius.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, so I, I, I have a couple of... uh topics that i wrote down for myself that i want to get into um do you guys have anything specific that you will want to get get off of your chest because then i will i will uh write it down here quickly so that we don't skip over it
1: um no we can start and see what we get to i mean i have things in general to talk about but let's start with what you have yeah uh
0: just a just two quick ones um first of all the like Dave you actually had two really cool podcast episodes in the last two weeks so I just want to touch on those uh the first one was with Steve Hall that was that was really awesome that you guys went over the coaching experience you had together and Steve was um comfortable doing that and I I think he handled it really well like um it was really insightful um did you have um, any more interactions with uh, Pascal since then on the little, not not <laughs> um, miscommunication, but like, yeah. yeah.
1: No, we haven't, we haven't chatted. I mean, I, maybe I like made a comment or something on his Instagram picture unrelated, but nothing regarding that. But yeah, I thought it was a good talk. I thought like we kind of, I think we, at the end, we, we agreed on like what we saw and even with Eric, it was like, we, we talked about it a little bit and it's like, yeah, you know, nothing necessarily wrong with the coaching just at this point. You know, what are you going to see in six months? Or like I said, I mean, really, I don't know what you'd see over you. You almost have to like guess that something's happening unless you're competing. And like Brian Whitaker was always a good example of that. And I, I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but I remember showing two different pictures. He has it. He has it up. And this was like 10 years ago. And my mom was in the room and I was like showing her the pictures. And she literally didn't believe that it wasn't the same picture. Like she was like, <laughs> David, that's the same picture. And I was like, no, like, see, there's like <laughs> this little veins a little bit more, you know, and nobody's going to question Brian Whitaker's dedication. So uh, I, I just think at that point, like if you're saying Natty, nothing to do.
0: Yeah, it's um, and, and just just for people that that uh, didn't see it. So Dave, you had the. Um, review video basically or just not so much a review more so just outlining your thoughts on how this past uh, six months went um that so that you did the coaching with steve and then you reflected on that and pascal um who is the colleague at the revive team of uh, steve said that well but how much visual progress can you really expect uh, after six months at your training age and then you had a bit of a back and forth because you weren't really right. expecting visual changes necessarily, but just something like at least another few reps on a lift that you've been doing for a long time or
1: something right. like that. Something that you really... measurable. Yeah. Yeah. To, to me, I, I usually fight against people who push on pictures all the time. I mean, this is like a frequent topic of discussion. Like To me, it's like pictures are just so, so easily not even manipulated like purposefully, just you, you change the smallest thing. And it's like, wow, like, look at this progress or wow, I've gotten so much worse. I mean, it's just, I don't want to say pictures are useless because they're they are definitely not useless, but I, I find them much more useful when dieting or over like multiple off seasons, but from one to the next it, at, at our, our level, I mean, it's very hard to see anything. Yeah. Um, look,
0: one thing, uh, one thing I will say is that, um, in the other podcast episode that you did with Eric, you touched on your calves mm-hmm. um, again that you, so you've been training one for two years. The other one you haven't trained um, at, at all.
1: Right. So that this is correct. Going, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously I trained them both for, you know, 15 years or whatever it was, but they haven't grown since I was 17 years old at 170 pounds and only like a few years into it, which honestly even surprises me. Like that's kind of shocking that, I could have put on like, I do think with a lot of muscle groups, it's just proportional to weight and and whatnot. But the fact that they actually have not grown in in absolute size, putting on another 20 pounds of muscle is, is kind of shocking. And to literally not train it at all. Like that even surprises me.
0: Yeah. Uh, Brian, do you, do you have anything that resembles that level of uh, stubbornness on on your body? (laughs)
2: Oh man, that's a good question. I mean, we've, we've all kind of torn apart my hamstrings in our little DM group many a time. I Hmm. think uh, Abel's comment was something along the lines of like your torso is an 8% body fat. Your quads are like 10 to 12 and your hamstrings are 22. So, (laughs) um, so I don't, I mean, I don't think that's accurate, but um, it does, it does bring the point that, that I do carry a lot of fat on my hamstrings. And because of that, I don't actually know like what's under there. I've never, in my life, been lean enough to actually see hamstring definition in that way. So, like even in 2015, I cut down to do a men's physique show. And granted, it was men's physique. So, like, who cared about the legs anyway? I probably didn't even train them that hard, but I had nothing on the hamstrings at that point. And then uh, last year, my most recent diet was 182, and it was the same deal. Like I took pictures from behind with like the sun shining on me, and it was still just like this flat thing on the back of my leg. So um so I mean maybe like I would say if anything like there's reason to believe my hamstrings are quite stubborn. Um I hip hinge I think decent loads and leg curl, you know, with quality technique and stuff like that. So so for me that's
0: definitely like what I would call the problem area. Yeah. I actually, I'm happy to report that it looks like my calves finally shrunk a bit after not mm. training them for like over two years. <laughs> uh, cause, cause I actually thought that like, okay, it's like, no matter what I do it, they are just there. And I would say they look to be the same size, but I, I measured them not long ago and it was almost like two centimeters that they shrank. Really? Um, yeah. I, I was actually wow. surprised. That's um, quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite a bit. Um, and but i would say that my arms actually might be like what the calves are for dave that Mm -hmm. like it it actually seems like man um like just just nothing seems to be happening and like this winter i was pretty excited that because like i i went up like i got a bit heavier and i was training my arms a lot more with isolation stuff than i had done so before and um and like, you know, like when you get heavier, you have just, you know, more intramuscular fat, more glycogen. And also, you know, like, actually, so this is really funny. I had a day when they measured uh, 17 inches. Wow. Now, no kidding. And I was even embarrassed, like, man, maybe I've actually somehow been measuring them wrong all along. And I'm a 17 inch arm kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, <laughs> and then it like, you no, know, it turned out that uh, I just got a bit fatter. And I just had some crazy water retention and it showed How up. How much did well. you weigh when that happened though? So I was weighing
1: around like 90 kilos, a bit over. Oh, that's pretty convert. big. Yeah. 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 And- so I'm thinking like for me it, it, at this point, again, it's just proportional to weight. So if I was, yeah, I mean, that is good, dude. I mean, at 200 pounds, that's 198 when I'm at 200 pounds, there may be like 16 and three quarters. So I think our arms, cause that actually is really surprising to me because before you were always saying your arms are like, what, 15 and a half? Like there was a pretty big difference between us. But
0: they are again, <laughs> it was, oh, that, that, that
1: was like a two day experience. That's a, um, yeah, that's weird. And what do your calves measure before you losing the two centimeters and now? So
0: they were like 38 centimeters. So like 15, may, maybe like, so it, it was like my arms basically like 15 inches generally and 16, hmm. if I got a bit fatter and then now it was like 36 or so. So like four fourteen 14 inches, a bit, bit over
1: maybe. Yeah. Uh, Something that I think is really interesting with like, like we always talk about like, oh, like there, there's the insertion of the muscle and all this stuff, but also just how much it's all dependent on other things. So like one thing I've noticed, like, so your calves, that would be, that means they got down to like 14 and a quarter which is really surprising because like you've sent us videos and they still look like good calves. Like that's, that's a pretty small measurement. Like mine can look like sticks at 15 inches. Right. But we talked about how, how much longer my legs are than yours. Yeah. yeah. But I realized it's not even just that. It's also like, I've seen some of these like skinny guys, like maybe like skinny lean basketball player. And if I just looked at their calf muscle, it's like that objectively is thin. But on their entire frame, it doesn't jump out to me as like, oh, this mm-hmm. person has really skinny calves. They just kind of look generally athletic. And I think while that is insertion related, it also has to do with like, like I have wide unesthetic hips, you know, and, and I know like mm-hmm. Steve Hall kind of has that same issue. And I think that going down into small calves looks significantly worse than you can see some guys with like these narrow waist and hips. And in that case, it just, it kind of falls in line. You know what I mean? So it's, it's all like how it flows together.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But, but like, honestly, the, the arms are, are, are kind of shocking to me because they are not like with the calves, I think it's more commonly known that that's a very genetically like strongly determined body part uh, or muscle group. And like, like a lot more people are talking about the stubborn calves with the arms. It's like, well, I mean, you know, It's it's not so much, of course, like there is a limit for everybody, but people are able to grow it um, to like, you know, 16 inches or so. I, I actually thought that like, if I really dedicate myself to it, I could bring it up to that. I mean, maybe not now, like within like one, like winter bulk, but still mm-hmm. like something at least if if anything actually i think they're smaller <laughs> they somehow look <laughs> le- le- less impressive than they usually are although this one looks pretty okay. pretty
2: solid it's
0: pretty yeah 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 okay so this was better now than i expected <laughs> but but um but yeah absolutely nothing not even like just, just just absolutely nothing so that's kind of kind of sad but um anyway Go ahead. what do you guys think? So I
2: brought this up a while ago, but Nunez and I have kind of been talking about the idea of like increased vascularity at a given body weight and like even if that doesn't necessarily correlate to uh, you know bigger measurements or anything or maybe even different caliper readings. but you know you are more veiny at 182 than you were two years ago at 182 type thing. And that being like at least at you know a super high level, something to look at and be like wow there's there's at least improvement happening here you know you want to go first table.
0: yeah like i i think there is something to that um i i wasn't actually thinking of the veininess necessarily but maybe there's something to that um like muscle maturity or i, I don't know mm-hmm. what to call it because with my arms for example like even though they measure the same like they do look more muscular than they did like let's say like there's a um in 2019 we were at this um, expo in uh, in germany and there's a, a picture of me where you can see my arms pretty well maybe i will even put it up on the screen and if you look at my arms then and now they are actually the same size i can promise you that but it does look as if it's it's more muscular now mm-hmm. so it's um so yeah, and and I don't know what happened, but it just looks more defined, more I don't know, and, and just more beefy. So yeah, I, I don't know what does that honestly, or what grew if the actual size of it didn't grow, but but yeah. something happens. So
1: I've definitely seen people look better with the same measurements, but I still feel like. It's weird. I mean, obviously composition is such a huge aspect of it, right? Like you can have 17 inch arms that look like crap. Um, But if you're, if we're like just talking about vascularity, I mean, it's, it's hard because it's so dependent on so many things, right? I I mean, I'm, I don't get vascular really at all unless I'm like really lean and I've seen fat guys with, I mean, not fat, fat, but like 20 plus percent body fat guys with like crazy calf and forearm vascularity. And so they just always have that and it always looks really good. Um, So I don't know, I guess I just haven't personally experienced it where I'm not leaner by calipers or waistline or something like that, but I'm showing more veins unless I took like a vasodilator or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, heat obviously is a huge factor in that too, right? So like we have this steam shower in my house and like I do it in the mornings and sometimes I get out of the steam shower and I'm just like whoa, what like what has happened to my quad right now when usually there's like not a single vein in the whole thing. Um, but I guess the reason I, I brought up that anecdote anyways was um, so as I'm going through this diet, I just passed into like the the I'm con- consistently into the like mid to high 180s right now like 186, 187 type range. Mm-hmm. And in past years, it wouldn't be until I got into the low one eighties that I would see like a cross bicep vein as I'm just like walking around daily life, playing with my kids, like outside, whatever. Um, But this time I'm seeing that like five pounds heavier. And so I thought that like, no, my arms aren't bigger. No, I don't think I gained five pounds of muscle. Like none of that is true, but it's just, it's a cool thing to be able to be like, there might be something happening here that I'm five pounds heavier now. And I'm having this vein that I didn't have until, um, you know, five weeks later in the diet in the past. So just something. But what to, would to that be.
1: even indicate? Like, obviously, as you said, you didn't put on five pounds of muscle. So like, yeah, what would that? That's what I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I,
2: in assumption it's that I'm a little bit leaner, but like, no, I'm not five pounds leaner uh, right. than I was last year. So no, I don't know what the answer is. I'm thinking like muscle maturity is, is a piece I think that there's probably something to um, to getting older and being more veiny, and that's why I, I was going to say. It <laughs> could just be like, aging. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah,
2: no, because like that—that's certainly true. I mean, as as I've gotten older, veins have just come to the surface more, unlike other areas of my body too that I don't even really like train, you know. So, so it could just be that factor as well. Specific, Brian.
1: Um, what specific areas are getting veiny? <laughs> just <kidding.
2: laughs> areas uh, I don't train. Right. Um, yeah, <laughs> but anyway, I just, I just thought that was interesting just as like, cause Nunez and I brought it up and like, you know, he's in the same boat that we all are, where we're just trying to like see minuscule little bits of progress here and there along the way. And, and when you can see something like a new vein at a different or higher body weight um, than, than you were, I think that that's at least something to be like, maybe there's something happening, you know, like at least I'm going to, I'm going to pretend there is because optimism is important.
1: Yeah. Well, this, I mean, Abel, you and I, I mean, this was with Steve Hall three years ago at this point, like one of the first podcasts. And I said, even back then, the desire to like use performance enhancing drugs, honestly, sure. Like you want to get bigger and stronger, but half of it would almost be to have that excitement back that like to see something happening again, you know, and to have like a new variable to play with and to like, just be excited to go into the gym. Cause that that's genuinely like the hardest thing I struggle with right now is like half of my workouts i'm like all right here, just going not going through the motions like i'm not trying but like i just know like it's going to be the same again and like you know you get a, a increased rep you know once in a blue moon it's just harder to stay as motivated you know
2: one of the things that i uh do with with my training a lot is try to create small wins every session so like even if it's not gonna you know, because you said, you know, you can just sit there. It, actually, this goes into what Abel wanted. One of the things Abel wanted to talk about, about the idea, of the philosophical approach to progressive overload or or the oh, more like you. kind of tangible approach. Um, so, so like in my, in my training, I really like the idea of just doing something more because it makes me feel like I accomplished something and got like a small win for the day. And so that could be as simple as adding, you know, a half a pound or a one pound micro plate to something, a fractional loading. Um, but it can also be like, for me, I, as I've discussed with you guys, I have a whole lot of love for doing like partials and reverse drop sets and some of these like more lengthened overloaded techniques, but just the idea of like doing two partials when I did no partials last week, like maybe last week it was zero RIR. And then the next time it was two RIR or it was rather two partials after zero RIR. And so even if that wasn't necessarily progressive overload in the sense that I did an extra full rep, it's like I did more than I did the last time. And that makes me feel accomplished in some way.
0: Yeah, it's, um, I don't know, it's actually something um, I've been, I've been thinking about uh, when I was listening to the podcast of Eric and, and Dave is, um, you guys touched on how some people just grow in these big spurts. So like, nothing is really happening than a big spurt. And, and like, you have a couple of those. And I actually think so I think Eric said that he it was like, it was like small spurs, but it was like relatively linear and very slow after that first initial big spurt that he had when he was just starting out, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. And I, I think actually I w- I'm i that kind of spurty, spurty guy. So, and I was just thinking now before the call, I think I had like three that I can think of, but like I had one maybe in my first or second, like second year of training, maybe where I did my first kind of unintentional bulk. I just stopped giving a shit about being lean for a while. And then I got a bit heavy. And then when I cut down, it was like, like a noticeable. And I also like tried higher frequency for the first time. And then I went from being stuck at like 82.5 kilos for like five or six reps to like, I don't know, like actually I benched hundred kilos for four reps, but that was kind of a freak thing. Um, so that was one there. And then in 2017, I actually gained five kilos. Big part of it was just that I basically started training legs. So, you know, like take that for what it is, but, but still like
2: 2017, is that what you said?
0: Yeah, (laughs) no, I mean, but I did train legs before that. It's just like, not, not with nearly with the same dedication as upper body and still not to this day, but at least it's (laughs) in the, in the same ballpark. Um, And, but I will even put up pictures here so you can see like, you know, 2016 physique, 2017 physique is a big difference. And then I would say I had another one, like, like now, like, like two years ago, maybe where it's like, okay. Like if you compare the physiques before that, like there there is definitely a change. Mm. Um, And in between, like, it's, it's like basically nothing like now, like if I look at my last year's pictures and now it's basically identical. So, um. They, are,
1: what would you guys say? Like, which one was it for you? Just a real quick touch back on what Brian said with like the small wins. Like, you know, in principle, like I definitely agree it's good. And obviously, if you could add a half a pound microplate or whatever, that'd be fantastic, right? If you add that up over time, I think honestly, this is one of the reasons that I've more come around to. And this is also one of the nice things training with Steve is it's like you know what, even if it didn't result in any progress assuming that I, I didn't get worse then it at least showed that like you can train at a three or a two RIR and it was okay. At least with that, that amount of volume I was doing. And, and more importantly for me, you could do with these exercises because it's one thing to go in there and say like from a difficulty standpoint, it's like, okay, I'm going to have to like bench barbell overhead, press, like pull-ups, like all these really harder exercises all the time. But when you, okay, maybe I'm feeling off that day or something and I can just do some machines. And also, even though I know That if I'm, you know, I've said so many times that when you add a new exercise, you get that initial neural adaptation. Even though I know that's what's happening, it's still more fun than to go in and do the same exercise I've done my entire life and hit the same thing, right? Barbell bench press 225 for 14, 225 for 14, 225, just doing that every single week versus, okay, I'm doing a hammer strength incline bench and I go up one rep and then I go up one rep and then I go up five pounds. Like, I know that it's not really putting on muscle, but at least I'm chasing after something and something's happening. And it's a small thing, but it, it definitely makes it more fun. And I would probably continue to just rotate through exercises like that in the future, even knowing that it's not actually doing anything.
2: One interesting, just quick comment on that is that um, you mentioned how there's like productive training at all these like lower RIRs and with these like less fatiguing movements and stuff like that. I wonder how much of that is, is relevant to the fact that you were training five times a week with, right. you know, higher volumes versus with three times a week, you know, needing to be closer to failure, working harder, bigger movements, uh, et cetera, et cetera. That was something I wanted to
1: ask Eric too. I didn't, uh, you know, we say like, oh, well, we found that like it's equivalent to do three RIR or whatever, but then I think there's other research showing like he he even points out that a lot of these studies are relatively low volume or frequency compared to like what a lot of bodybuilders do. And maybe, but in that case you could argue it's even more important to stay away from failure with truly higher volume. So yeah, yeah, it gets a little bit tricky, but I, you know, the intuition would be that at lower volumes, it's more important to train yeah. at high intensities. Yeah. I
2: think his, uh, his statement that I've heard him say recently, I think on iron culture was that the majority of the studies are that show benefit in, or leaning towards benefit of being closer to failure. Are these like two times, two to three times a week studies in RCTs, et cetera. Um, and if you actually took a bodybuilder, I think that would be his, his, um, his st- stance would be that if you were doing five or six times a week training, you know, it would be even more important that you're leaving more reps in reserve and there would then again be more benefit to doing that too so no, mm. i fully relate with that um do you want to touch on your progression rates real quick that, that Dave was talking about and then i'll jump in
0: um
2: dave or i can do it first I, that's fine I,
0: I was just lost in the in the sea of cables here um
1: right. so um, well i don't know if we answered your question Maybe yeah we, that's you, what you i was gonna
2: something. say do you want to go first or and i'll jump in oh
1: well, yeah right. for me to go first Yeah, go for it. Okay, sorry. Um, Yeah, I think I've definitely had, I've absolutely been more spurty. And part of that though is so when I started, let's again use 14 as like the real training started from 14 to 16, I went from like 130 to 160. And then that was my sophomore year of high school. And then I really didn't progress almost at all my junior and senior year, which seems kind of crazy. Like, how do you not progress at like a six, like 17, 18 year old male? Um, but I think I was still trying to be, well, you know, I wasn't even that lean, honestly. Um, I think I was like slow to eventually grow, uh, but I was also on Accutane and Accutane like messed me up. Like, I, I think it, there are some studies showing that it correlates with some GI issues that may be part of why I developed it later. Um, it made my joints incredibly dry. Like literally like I would sit or stand in one position while brushing my teeth. And by the time I was done, like I would move out of that position and it, I felt like I was creaking. Like it was painful. I couldn't squat. I couldn't deadlift, um, it, it was just a mess. So that could definitely have been part of it. And then my freshman and sophomore years of college, I gained seven and then eight pounds respectively, meaning like net seven to eight pounds at the same leanness. So that was huge. And then I didn't really grow my junior senior year. And then my first two years of dental school, I again had like another spurt of like 10 pounds over those two years. And then that's more or less like the last time I've seen like noticeable, you know, when I was like 26, 27, that's like the last time I've really seen noticeable gains. So yeah, I was very spurty as able puts it. Mm-hmm. Brian.
2: Yeah. I feel like mine was maybe a little less spurty with it concentrated and like one or two areas. Maybe that's pretty, I don't know. Um, well, I'll just go over the story. So basically I started training at five, two, my height was five, two. And so I was like 135 pounds. And so I don't even think I can count this as like tangible progress because I graduated high school at five ten and 170 pounds. I'd been training three years, but I didn't gain 35 pounds of muscle Mm -hmm. in in three years. Right. I, I gained eight inches of height and a whole bunch of body size. Um, but then I think the majority of the gains happened in college, because in college, uh, my first year I went from 170 to 200, like literally the freshman 30. And uh, and it was a mix of, of fat and muscle in that 200. And I never really cut down ever. I just spent the next three years of college basically staying at 200. And it just kind of gradually became a better version of 200 um and then in the senior year of college before spring break i cut down for like the first time down to uh 185 and i I've, I've showed you guys this pic before it's part of one of the transformation things i have on my profile but it's like a picture of me uh cold as shit outside a hot tub in the snow um i can i can <laughs> send it to you again at some point but basically it i think i was about <laughs> what
0: we will cut it in
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I was, I was like 185 pounds and I think we estimated, you know, something like 14, 15% body fat at that point. And that was at the end of college. Um, and now like we're talking, man, it's been like 15 years since then and 185 and 9% body fat, something like that. So maybe I'm like five or 6% body fat better at the same weight. So what's that like 12 pounds of muscle or something like that in 15 years. And, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if a decent amount of that, um, not a whole lot, but three, four, five pounds of that came since I stopped CrossFit in like 2017 and actually became a little more focused on, um, doing things a little bit more optimally. So I would say the college years for sure had the biggest impact. And then it was like super gradual after that.
0: Mm. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, I don't th- th- there might be some hope for, you know, the spurty ones amongst you that, like, there are right. still some unexpected stuff to come. Um, just one thing, like, uh, because Dave, before he got on the call with Eric, like, he asked me if he, uh, if, if we want him to ask some questions of him. And then uh, Brian wanted the long muscle length stuff. And um, I was bringing up the thing that I've been just, talking about constantly. So I'll just like very briefly bring mine up. Um just um there is one specific question that I'm wondering about, especially like I thought about it yesterday again when listening to Dave and Eric. So if we if progressive overload is is basically more of a consequence mm-hmm. of muscle growth than the other way around. Then if someone so first of all if someone is stuck So like, there is a guy like, like, let's say, like, let's say, for example, me now, like I'm stuck on a chest press machine exercise, like, um, whatever, like 120 kilos for five or six, like on good days. I've been getting six on not so good days. I've been getting five. Mm -hmm. Um, if I, if I'm stuck there, so it's like clearly a zero RIR, like, I just cannot go past that for the life of me, then Mm -hmm. Is, is this a problem now or I'm getting all the stimulus I need from that? Cause I mean, it's clearly very hard. In fact, it, like I'm not only now for the next five months, this is going to be a perfectly enough per, like stimulus for my packs, at least on that one set. So it's not a problem that I'm stuck or I need to do everything in my power to break through this uh, because I need to present that, you know, progressive overload. So
1: I don't know. What, what do you guys think? So well, do you want to go first, Brian, or
2: no? Nah, go for it, man. All you're right. good.
1: Um, so basically, it comes down to like the whole: is it because I, I remember in the voice message, I kind of like said to you, I was like, do people think that you can gain without progressively overloaded? But you're saying essentially, like, which one causes it? Right? right? Is the progressive overload that causes the muscle growth, and vice versa? Yeah, I mean, it, so this would be like if we take that at face value, that like progressive
0: overload is a consequence of muscle growth, mm-hmm. and not the other way around.
1: Yeah. So it's funny, one of the comments in my Steve Hall video, and somebody said, well, like regarding the calf thing, and they're like, well, did your calves get stronger? Because if not, then we really can't say that, like, they don't respond. And I was like, yeah, they didn't get stronger because they didn't respond. Like, that's the whole thing. <laughs> like, I'm, you know, because calves are not like a, a technical movement, right? So like, sure. And, and even then, even with calves being like, one of the least technical things you could do, right? I mean, it's literally... That even then if i do a new machine i will progress at that machine but my baseline that i've done since uh high school really is just like a one leg uh standing calf raise on the stair and that has not increased in forever and it hasn't increased because i don't have more cross-sectional area of my muscle tissue to generate more force to increase the strength there so um, so I, I think they they do go super hand in hand, though. So it's not like I don't try. But I guess the question then would be, if it requires progressive overload, what does that look like? Do you mean literally like just trying to add more weight to the bar is simply then what does it? Because all of these other methods, I mean, I don't know almost anybody who advocates things that don't involve progressive overload in, in some way, right? So it's, yeah. it's it's hard to parse it out. It's like, I think in your
2: example, Abel, it's like progressive overload would occur if that 225 was getting easier. But if that 225 never gets easier and it's always a zero or a one RIR at five or six reps or whatever, then progressive overload has not occurred. And so then at that point, like I think the argument would be no, you're not making progress. You're not gaining muscle. Like, yes, you're within the proximity of failure that you need to be. You're doing enough volume for you to grow muscle, but there's probably something outside of the gym or some other factor that's keeping the adaptation from occurring. Because whether you're adding weight to the bar and forcing that progression um, or not, eventually you're going to reach a sticking point if, if other things aren't in order, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think a good or an interesting way to think about it, and this is kind of what Abel said, I'm just rephrasing it a little bit, is like, if you think back to, and it's it's hard to know because strength gains at this level are so slow, but let's even just take like an intermediate lifter. It's not that hard to imagine an intermediate lifter, let's say doing 185 for 10 on bench. And then, you know, they, they go through months of progression or whatever, and then they get 185 for like 13, right? If that same intermediate lifter kept like started at 185 for 10 and then they did 185 for 10 and then they did 185 for 10 again like to brian's point it should get easier i suppose it could be it just again intuitively it's hard to imagine that by just continuing to do 185 for 10 every session it's going to go from a zero RIR to a one RIR to a two RIR, and then yeah. eventually to a three i mean again i guess in theory i don't know anybody who's like tried that but i i just don't imagine it would get so much easier. We're like, wow, I've been doing the same thing for like three months or four months. And now I could do it for another three. If I just tried, whereas we could all imagine somebody going from that strength regression of 10 to 13. Yeah. Yeah. Although to play devil's
0: advocate there, like, you know, like, so I, again, this is where RPE can be useful to use because like, you do know the difference between, um, so it's a zero RIR. So like, you definitely cannot get another rep, but you can still feel if it was easier than last time, like maybe last time it was a, an all out grinder. And -hmm. now it was like, okay, it was like very tough. And I definitely cannot get a full like new rep after this, but it was not as big of a grinder. It was slow, but like, I I got it pretty solidly. So like that sort of progression does happen, but to be completely fair, like I don't because I never really trained for extended periods, at least with like a like with RIR basically, mm-hmm. like over zero. <laughs> um, uh, at the very least, like you know, technical zero RIR. So um, once once I couldn't get the same form, then I would stop. So I don't I don't really have any experience even like testing that. So it like the way it worked for me was I got as many reps as I could. And then I would go heavier proactively. And then I would try to build up the reps, but I don't know, like I, I cannot reflect to a time where it was like, okay, so okay, it was easier. Okay. It's easier still. Ooh, now it's very easy. Okay. Now mm-hmm. I will go heavier. So, right, right. so usually it would be like, okay, a hundred kilos, eight reps, 102 kilos, seven reps okay next time maybe eight reps and eventually when i'm like considerably stronger then i would go back to 100 kilos and then at eight reps i would feel like oh wow like i have reps left in the tank okay let's
1: do a few more so (laughs) i think it would happen at a beginner level though like if you got a beginner to work up from like let's say they start at like i don't know 80 pounds for 10 they worked up to 100 pounds for 10 and then they just stayed at 100 pounds for 10 like at that at that level, I could certainly see them continue to get stronger with a hundred pounds. I mean, even, I think it's, uh, it's Mark Ripto or was it, uh, the HST guy who talked about how you really continue to adapt to the same weight and reps for like three or four weeks, mm-hmm. technically now, again, mm-hmm. at that level. Right. Um, so I could see it happening, you know, and, and then also there's something to be said, you know, we talk about like, oh, you're, you're recruiting maximum muscle fiber. As long as like, you're trying to push it as hard as possible. So if they were still like doing that in my example, 185 for 10, as fast as possible, like I I could see it. Like, again, it's one of those things like nobody does this really. So it's hard to parse it out, but I, I still would be inclined towards having somebody try to progress whenever they can. Yeah. I I'm wondering if, um, so
0: on your conversation yesterday, about whether you know you could achieve the same physique, or Eric could have achieved the same physique if they if he never went past the three RIR. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like let's just assume that the gauging what a three RIR is is not a problem. Um, so I wonder if that's actually even possible. And and I'm and because I'm wondering if there is something with your nervous system that just. Um, like when you go heavier, it inherently, for the same amount of reps, like it reduces um, your RIR because, you know, like we talk about new exercises um, necessitate going through that neural adaptation. But I wonder if, to some extent, the same thing is going on with heavier weights. I mean, I mean, we know it does, right? Like lifting, you know, ninety percent of your one RM is very different than lifting seventy percent of it. Um, but even at you know, smaller increments, like when you go two and a half kilos heavier, like you kind of have to get used to lifting that weight first. Um, So there's a bit of a learning phase. So inherently like what was three RIR last week, even if you got all the like muscular adaptations, it will still feel heavier at least. And probably like you won't actually be able to get as many reps after that if you tried with the same form at least. So, I'm wondering if it was actually even possible to do an experiment like that for someone, um, right? Right, any input on that from anyone, <laughs> or you just agree? No, I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I agree.
2: I know, I know guys personally that never trained a failure and have way better physiques than me, and I know that that, that, is, that means nothing because he could have just had way better genetics than me, and like you know, that's just what it is. But I watched this dude squat like you know, 365 for 12, and he just racked the bar because he said it got hard and bench, you know, <laughs> 275 for eight. And he just like, there's a slow rep and he's like done, you know, and that's just how he trained all the time. And I don't know if he ever really went to failure. He just always trained that way. And he was just really strong and, and had a great physique. So, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. But one thing I was thinking about as you were talking about this whole thing and progressive overload in general is, you know, the, the, the old, linear periodization model is just really good for this type of thing you know where you have like a week of 12s a week of 10s mm-hmm. a week of 8s and a week of 6s or something like that because then it's almost as if like you get to add weight to the bar because the reps are dropping and you have like a four or five week turnaround period before you get back to like sets of 12 yeah where there's a whole lot of adaptations that could have occurred and then you get like a real sense of whether those sets of 12 are are easier or heavier than they were 5 weeks prior
0: right yeah uh, actually, since you mentioned that, I wanted to mention this earlier, the, um, uh, what you mentioned about rotating exercises, like Dave, I think you said that it's, uh, it's fun because like, even though, you know, that there is neural adaptations that you're going through now, and that's why you're getting stronger so fast. Like it's still psych- psychologically it's still nice. Yeah. And I'm wondering if I'm wondering, especially for advanced lifters, like how viable that would be to actually, do that. And then when you return to, so let's say you have like, for the, uh, for the chest, let's say you have like three exercises that you're like rotating through and kind of like program hopping with. (laughs) So you have like, let's say barbell bench, then dumbbell bench, and then like some kind of a machine. And then, so when you go through like one cycle like this and you go back to the barbell bench, if you're stronger, then kind of, that's what you use as a gauge. Of whether you progress, because like that's that's actually a, a testing method that people use anyway. Sometimes that uh, okay, like now I'm not neurally as efficient with this movement. Did I? Am I still stronger than I was the last time? Because if yes, then holy shit, then mu- something really must have happened. I wonder how viable that
1: would be. Well, you I think use? you'd have to give it time to become neurologically adapted again, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't like- know how long that could take. Like I just. <laughs> I just did barbell bench press for the first time in like eight months and what I get 225 for nine so like that's weaker than I used to do for sure so but it's the first time I've done it in a long time so like if I could work out back to I mean my PR was 16 so I don't know I and mean, that's that's still a lot <laughs> that's a lot of ground to make up but sure, if I got to like 17, then I'd be like, wow, like, I, you know, I probably have put on something, but um, I, I think at least a month, if not two, you know, cause I, I remember um, Jeff Alberts talking about like, you know, this, this principle and him and Brad Loomis were talking about, it. he's like, yeah, you know, a barbell curl doesn't take many time to get adapted to like, if I can't, you know, fully efficiently barbell curl after 30 years, like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I told him I actually disagreed with that because in my cut 2020, and it was my probably my most successful cut but when I dieted I actually gained strength on my barbell curl the majority of that time mm. and I obviously was not gaining bicep size but I hadn't done a barbell curl because this was during the lockdowns so I had to work out in like my my parents basement essentially where all my like stuff from high school is and I hadn't used that in so long so I still was adapting to a barbell curl and I mentioned before with the cab machines like literally while Steve and I were doing Like I had one home workout and I was doing the one leg uh, calf raise on the stairs that I've done for over a decade and it would not budge. And then I was doing a machine calf raise within the same week that was progressing. So even something that seems so basic, I still think there's an adaptation period.
2: Yeah. The barbell curl thing, I agree with a hundred percent too. I remember when you had that conversation with with Brad and Jeff about that. I think you even show them like a video of you approaching Mm -hmm. failure or something like that. But, um, but no, I, I had a cycle where I hadn't done barbell curls for almost a year and I put them in and it was like 95 for 10 was failure. Like I Mm -hmm. could not have done another rep. And then like five weeks later I was doing one fifteen for nine and it was like the same thing. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of just like, you know, I didn't gain 20 pounds of bicep strength.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And when you think of like some of the weights we used to lift, I, I don't know if it's the same with you, Abel. I know you had you. I don't know if you had like the heavy barbell lifting days as much as like Brian and I did, but like yeah, I was a little bit, a little bit, yeah. Like I was curling one thirty-five for six at the end of a workout, like after rows, after pull-ups, and again, obviously, form was not at all pristine. But I'm like, I don't, even with crappy form, I don't even think I can yeah. do that for one right now. And same thing yeah. with my shoulder presses, like. I have a video where I'm clearly smaller and I'm kicking up the hundred pound shoulder, uh, hundred pound dumbbells for shoulder press for 10 reps. And again, I'm probably coming like to here. I'm not going all the way down, but I'm here 10 reps at the same more or less the same tempo. And if I try to kick up hundreds right now, it's like they're hard
0: to kick up even for bench press. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So it's it's just funny what you get used to yeah. doing. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's 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 quite shocking, honestly. Like
1: to me on um
0: RDLs and chin-ups specifically so like I've been doing chin-ups have been maybe the movement that I've been doing for the longest and the most consistently so I've been doing that since like 2013 basically at least like once a week and oftentimes more like twice a week um, for the most part and but this like last like maybe seven months I barely did chin-ups because I was like getting into more of the, the ca- cast, uh, the pull down variations. Uh, and I just enjoyed experimenting with it, but now I started doing it like just here and there again. And it's, it's, I assumed that it, I, I would lose or at the very least not improve on it because I'm just not doing it regularly. Um, but how much I regress was actually quite surprising. Um, like I, I was considerably like way stronger, uh, before, and then mm. RDLs as well, like, holy shit. So, like, I was, I checked my log, like, I did 145 kilos or something for, like, 11, rep, or, no, actually 13 reps, yeah. And, like, um, I was pretty happy with that, like, I almost passed out at the end. And now, like, holy shit, I cannot even do it for five. Like it's a really big difference. Uh, But I was doing RDLs like twice a week, basically, for a long time. And now it's, I rarely do it. So, Mm. yeah, the neurological adaptation is huge. I mean, any big
2: compound movement, you notice that. I noticed the same with pull ups, chin ups, whatever, as well. Cause I used to do them constantly, multiple times a week, like pre CrossFit, during CrossFit, post CrossFit. And then again, like you in the last couple of years, I've kind of veered away from them, but I'll throw them in occasionally. And I can still do like what I consider to be somewhat respectable numbers, but they're certainly lower than what I was using when I was doing them consistently.
1: Do you find, cause like I had a hard time giving up again, it, it was nice with Steve. It kind of like forced me to finally give some of them up, but like my pull-ups I'm back to doing them. I'm only doing them once a week, whereas before I was doing them twice a week, but I'm still not lifting as much as I was. After let's see, I've it's been six weeks, I think, since we finished what it's been a while, and my pull ups are still not back to where they were pre Steve. So, again, it shows it can take a while, and I don't know, maybe I'd have to get back to twice a week for it to ever get back to that, you know. So, uh, but you you eventually get to a point that it was so, it took so much to get to that. It's almost like when you compete for like, like if you were a powerlifter and your whole life was powerlifting for years and years, like, not only are you rarely at that peak, like if you stopped exercising, but even if you were doing that exercise the whole time, they peak for a specific meet, but like, let's say you're like, Oh, my, my best ever was 500. doesn't matter the lift. The majority of the year, they can't even hit that even while still doing those Mm -hmm. exercises, right? It's so peaked Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's almost like if you were to stop powerlifting, I could see somebody just being like, well, I'm just not going to do the big three anymore because I'm not even going to be close to what I was, you know what I mean? Assuming again, you've you've dropped the idea that you're going to compete anymore. Um, And that's kind of something that's happening with me a little bit with some of these lifts.
2: Do you think that there's like a subconscious change in the way that you execute things? Like maybe Steve got into your brain a little bit over these last six months and like you're a little less
1: like herky-jerky and a little less explosive momentum-based or anything like that? Uh, I don't because I, I think that it's a misconception that I was like that. Like I said, Steve was actually... Like, again, you guys see some of the videos I send you, like there was the row example. And, and, but in general, yes, if I'm posting like a max lift, then you'll see these like all out kind of movements. But the vast majority of my movements are a slower and controlled. And and also, especially with the pull-ups as my example, I do them from home and it's like in the doorway, you know, with like a crappy setup. So Mm -hmm. I'm trying to make it as hard as I can. I, I don't use, that's just my body weight. So I've yeah. since day one gone very slow. I pause and, and I'll get like 15 reps, so like relative, like my PR for body weight is 30. So and and that is a herky jerky <laughs> pull up. But 30. so you did a video
2: where 30. you did forty five pounds for sixteen or something like that. 15, is that right? 15. Yeah, yeah. fifteen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what? Like that was kind of like a little bit of the herky jerkiness, right? Perfect. So Absolutely. so what? What if you just did forty five pounds, like super strict, like pausing at the stretch position, keeping like if your goal is to keep a big chest, keeping a mm-hmm. big chest type thing. Like, what do you think you'd end up with there?
1: So I I do that actually. So when I was doing like the most of my pull-ups my first set would be all out so that's when i got like my 100 for six or 135 for three and then i follow that up with two back back-off sets with 45 pounds again strict slow and i do two sets of eight to nine yeah so fresh you know yeah like that's like, something like that yeah. yeah yeah that's what i was, I was just speculating
0: here because like i like with 20 kilos i'm pr- pretty sh- if, if i do it strict then Probably I can do like, uh, like now I would be able to do eight. And if I practice it, probably I could do 10 and Dave is like way stronger than me on pull-ups. So probably, although sometimes, you know, like, um, people are surprisingly good or bad at high reps or low reps, Mm -hmm. but it seems like you have pretty good work capacity as well. So at the very least 12, I would think still. If I was fresh. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: And enable you do them with like the angles grips,
0: right? You don't usually go straight pronated. Uh, yeah. So straight pronated. I I never, uh, oh yeah. So pull-ups, are we talking pull-ups or chin-ups in this whole thing?
2: Well, chin-ups would be supinated. Pull-ups would be pronated. And then the, the, the handles would be rotational, I guess. Right.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Pull-ups, I really haven't done in a long time, but, um, yeah, pull-ups. I, I do with the. I really don't like. So if I'm gonna use a fixed bar, then uh, neutral is the yeah is the only one I'm comfortable using. The other ones are just gonna fuck up my elbows. So
1: I agree. Uh,
0: or or so pronated can be fine, but then with like a loose grip, so almost like kind of just holding like this, not with a full. Mm-hmm. strong grip which is obviously not very good for heavy loading but by the way i need to overhaul my entire thing i just said so if we're talking pull-ups then with 20 kilos i could probably do like six seven at best
2: pronated definitely harder i mean i'm a neutral grip or rotational grip guy too like i don't supinate or pronate fully on, on any of them because they just don't feel good but if i have rotational handers or neutral that's kind of the way i speak about them usually
0: Again, like the wide grip, right? Because like the the biceps are a lot like not leveraged as well to be involved, so yeah. they they cannot help you as much. By the way, Dave, do you like you need to bounce like
1: I in a yes. second, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, if you guys want to just continue on, I can just bounce out. That's fine.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, Brian, we can yeah. shoot a few we, words. We can keep talking for a the few. The length,
1: cool. lengthened. stuff. Yep. All right, guys. I uh, will see you next time. All right, brother. Good talking. See
0: you, man. Yeah, man. So, um. On the on the what, what do you think of the stuff that I said yesterday about the lengthened um, partials that I've I've really been thinking about like putting some kind of a stopper on the cable stack so that like when I'm here like it, it like bumps into something. The but then show. like
2: what happens when you fatigue more? Cause eventually the, like the partials over the course of partials are going to become smaller and smaller. Right. So, so that might be like a stopping point for like my first partial or something, but then you're going to have more fatigue and you'll get 10% less range of
0: motion. Yeah. I guess ideally actually that I've, I've also thought of that, that it would be like multiple stoppers. So, and it wouldn't bump <laughs> into it, but it would yeah. like go through it. Right. Um, so it would be just something to make a noise, basically, so that I know when I hit that, that level. Um, so the only problem, I mean, there are multiple problems. One is that if you like that would only work if your posture is exactly the same throughout. Mm-hmm. Right. Because like if you on a or. Yeah. Like on a, yeah, like a chest supported stuff, it would be OK. But if you're doing just a regular pull down, then, you know, like if you lean back more or something, mm-hmm. then it will bump into those at a different point. So, and that, that's the only thing that really bothers me with the partials that it's, it's just, um, because it's not standardizable, it's almost like I just see them as a bonus. Like I sometimes do them. Sometimes I just cannot bother. I'm like, oh fuck. <laughs> like I'm done with the set. Like, let's just end it here. So Yeah, I just, you
2: know, I, I don't think it bothers me at all. Um, and I've, I had a, a Jordan Lips, I was on his podcast, and he asked me the same thing about kind of standardizing the partials or whatever. But um, I, it doesn't bother me because I just use them as a means of creating that small win for myself, you know, doing more than I did the last time. And so like in my, in my progression of short overload movements, it'll usually go like two IR one IR zero IR like then week three and then week four, it's like zero IR plus, you know, two or three partials. And then week five might be zero IR plus five partials or something. And then after that it might be week six is like zero IR plus a reverse drop set. So no partials, you just add weight and then do partials. Right. Um, Mm. So for me, it's like, man, it's just at this point in my training career where it's so hard to see tangible, like rep and weight progress that creating those small wins of just this idea of like doing more, like I I'm adding volume in some way. I'm creating more stimulus here. Like I'm going to pull that partial as hard as I fucking can every time, you know, uh, within the constraints of not exploding and using other muscle groups to accomplish the task. And so it's like, it kind of, it just doesn't matter to me. Like, as long as I'm getting more than no range of motion, like, you know, the first partial might get 90%, then 80%, then 65%, then 50. And like, as long as the range of motion is, is enough that I feel the muscle still contracting that I'm trying to target, then that's enough for me,
0: you know, um, Mm. to feel like I'm accomplishing something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, but So like one thing that I'm, I'm really happy with um, over these past months of experimenting with these pull-down variations is that I think now I actually know where my freaking lats are like during the movement. Like I, like honestly, like when I was doing this on a chin-up, I felt like, okay, like my lats are like maximally stretched out and I can definitely feel the difference between that and, and like, like this. Now I really feel it here. Um, and actually that's a good um, a good tip for people that i i thought about this before but now i just got reminded of this is um, if you're not sure what the proper movement is to like hit something in the length and position just look up some like physio videos or like rehab videos on how to stretch something uh, and they will they will show it like if if you look up lat stretch you will see things like across this. the body. Yeah. Yeah. You duck the arm across the body. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Um, one thing though, is, um, I don't know if you experimented with like the angles, like how much across, cause there definitely comes a point where like, you can feel it a lot more in your rear delts. Yeah. When you're doing the movement for sure. Well, I think that,
2: um, it's like the soft stop is, is the word, the phrasing that I believe is proper here is like when you reach the arm across the body, there's a soft stop. And then you could keep going, but once you hit that soft spot, the soft stop, that's kind of the point I think where where you're going to get the maximal stretch of that muscle. Because essentially, what you're doing by adducting the arm across the body is you're finding the short position of your pec, right? So mm-hmm. you can get the pec even shorter, but by getting the pec shorter, I don't know that that's necessarily lengthening the lat more. Um, because like if you're doing a if you're doing a press around, which would be a, the antagonist movement you know, you can get the peck super short, but that isn't necessarily stretching the lap more than it would if you just went to that soft stop point, because then yeah. you would have that resistance pulling you. So the resistance is pulling you in that angle, in that direction. Um, so you don't need to actually go to that like complete stopping point. I guess it's like the, the same as if you were doing a, uh, a bench press and, you know, they talk about how you want, you don't want to completely bottom out where there's like no resistance there. You want to yeah. at least be able to have like a little bit of give at the bottom. So I think the same thing could apply, could apply to that too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it would be really cool. Like I, I've been thinking a lot about how to best uh, do this kind of pull around motion. Um, it's like one, one solution is definitely like holding yourself like pushing yourself away with your arm from like a bench and then doing it that way. Um like, these things just bother me because of the standardization stuff, which might not yeah. be as important as I'm making it out to be. Cause like, um, cause I mean, actually maybe it's better because this way you can customize it more over time and like really find what the mm-hmm. best setup is. But um, yeah, like I was even thinking of like putting a foam, so like the bench and a foam roller. So I can like sort of, it looks reach like- around
2: it almost that's yeah. interesting yeah, yeah yeah um no there's certainly like a few good ways to set it up the arm bracing one is probably the easiest to set up because you can brace against anything like you've seen me brace against like the the arm of my uh functional trainer and just reach yeah. across with the other arm like that the bench works really well too the foam roller is an interesting idea um What I struggle with sometimes is the balance of shifting in the hips and the torso, because Mm. like, sometimes I feel like I just want to shift my hips and then reach across my body. But then the torso inevitably is going to rotate as well as the load is kind of like pulling you that way. So there's like a
0: balance between how much of each rotates, you know? Yeah. 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 There's this thing. And like, sometimes I'm, I don't know, it it just looks um, like, man, like, am I going to mess up my back? by doing this like because like you're leaning a bit to the side right and then also like a bit away from uh, like so you're you twist and rotate yeah yeah there's certainly some obliques
2: in there as well like you can kind of feel the the obliques working a little bit through some of that as
0: well yeah 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 um cool like just one one last thing i i want to bring up or I mean, do you need to bounce as well, like in the next nah, minute? I probably person? have 15 or 20 minutes. Okay, cool. Then, I mean, we don't need to fill that whole thing. I just wanted to bring up something that I actually wanted to mention at the beginning of this whole thing, but um, because Dave had to go early, I was kind of skipped over it. But um, So we talked about – so this is just a funny thing. The Steve Hall uh, Dave podcast. <laughs> So this is like, honestly, one thing that just fascinates me in fitness, like the differences between people in appetite. So this is completely unrelated to everything we've been talking about so far. But like when Steve was saying that um, he is like bulking up to 200 pounds for him was this nightmare experience because he felt nauseous all the time. And if he missed a meal, then his whole day was screwed because there was no way he was going to make up for that. And the amount of calories we're talking about here is 4,000. And like, to me, that's that that's mind boggling, honestly. Like, I don't know, like I, when I got up to 90 kilos this winter and it was heavier than I intended to, honestly, like um, actually it was a bit more, maybe like 92, something like that. But like, it, it was heavier than I intended to. And honestly, a lot of it was just like kind of, passive, uh, passively eating a bit too much. And I rarely eat like pure, high calorie, hyper palatable junk. Like we're talking about things like potatoes and things like that. If I'm not going out, if I go out, then probably it's like 6,000 or something easily. Um, If if I'm like eating liberally and then I'm not making up for it at home. So like I was thinking of like, where would be that point for me? where I would feel like nauseous all the time and probably at that 6,000 mark, I, I would think. Uh, but what, well, what do you think? What about you?
2: Yeah. When we were talking about this, I, I got a good laugh out of it too, because both of us kind of were like, Oh, 4,000 calories. Like, Oh my God, that's so low. You <laughs> yeah. know, but but the thing being, I think I think a it's cumulative and I don't I don't know that like 6000 is a really high number when you think cumulative like you're talking about like every single day I have to eat 6000 calories like a week later then 2 weeks later now 3 weeks later and oh my god 6000 calories like yeah I feel like that would become burdensome on a one day like just go for it type thing or a couple times a week I feel like 6000 is is reasonable within reach you know and you wouldn't feel awful about it yeah. Um, I do wonder how much like subconscious compensation would occur in subsequent days though, if you didn't like keep your foot on the pedal. Um, cause I know for me, man, if I have a big day of eating where I'm at parties and you know, I'm having cheesesteaks and pizza and desserts and stuff like that or whatever it is. And I have 6,000 calories the next two days, I might eat like 2,200 because I'm just not that hungry and I can can't be bothered to eat type thing. Um, I also think like, like you said, the, the food quality was high, which is, which is a big factor because yeah. I think I could eat 6,000 calories or even average 4,000 calories. I think I could average 4,000 calories for years with, with no problem if I was able to have some of these more palatable foods. But when you talk about being a little bit more rigid with diet ter- diet foods, but just eating more of them, Um, that's a challenge, man. Like I'm, I'm now 185 pounds. I've been dieting for nine weeks. And if I try to eat the 2,600 calories that I'm shooting for every day in just meat veggies and quality starches, there usually reaches a point where I look at my food and I'm not even trying to finish all of it, and I'm at like 2600 calories right now. But then flip that and be like, you can have bagels, and we can order pizza tonight, or you can yeah. put loads of cheese on stuff. And like before I know it, I'm at 4500 calories, and I didn't even think about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like I, I guess um, so. So two things. Like for me, the the reason it would be easy, actually. Part of me really wants to conduct this sort of experiment. <laughs> uh, the the only thing is that a um, like I, I I would gain weight really. Quick. So like that that's a big difference. Like I would most probably get to a point where I would be nauseous of eating at least like relatively clean foods like six thousand a day. But I would not look like Steve Hall <laughs> when when that point came. Like he when he felt nauseous and like oh my god this is terrible. Like he still looked like many people will at the end of their cuts, like he, he looked lean, um, wasn't as lean as he he normally is. So maybe like 15 to 17%. Yeah, 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 yeah at most. Uh, so I would probably be closer to 30 uh, when, when that would happen <laughs> easily. Um, yeah. and, and the reason I know that is because like I, uh, so this is the big, second big issue is for me, um, when I will go up in weight, like that will not happen in like, okay, I have four square meals and those are counted and I sit down and eat them and finish them. And then that's it. It's like, um, like when we are watching Netflix with my wife, that's when I will usually kind of have my, my dinner. Um, and it will be like, just now I'm sort of cutting and I will have these big uh, like bowls of uh, like veggies, like, fried zucchini and mushrooms and things like that and now that's great for a cut Um, in the winter that would have been like mainly potatoes and like to me potatoes are one of those like clean foods that if I fry them uh, no oil just fry them air fry them and put some like ketchup or any kind of like low calorie sauce even on it I can just freaking passively eat that like popcorn like uh, and it will be a long time until I will feel like, man, this is making me sick. It probably will be at the point where I just need to go to the toilet because like I just ate way too much of it. Yeah. Um, so like, and, and then with things like oatmeal, which is like, I don't know, like five times the calories, it's even worse. Like I can just make these big like uh, <laughs> bowls of it. So I will put like out of 200, not 200, I don't know, like a hundred grams of oatmeal and like enough water to make it like nice and soft and kind of fluffy. And man, I can just, I can passively eat so much of that. And um, I, when I've gotten my, my fattest, a, a good chunk of that was just from oatmeal, for example. Mm. So like, I actually
2: really like oatmeal too. I find starches to be pretty easy to consume as well. Like everything you listed was a starch. I feel like potatoes, the way you described, um, I do them similarly. And, uh, and oatmeal, I I also like raisins and oatmeal, which adds again, more, Mm -hmm. more carbohydrate there. And then rice, I, I I really like rice, like different types of rice, rice, pilaf, white rice, any kind of rice is good too. So I can eat starches all day long. For me, the, the, the hiccup ends up becoming the veggies and the protein. Mm. Um, like I, I can eat tons of protein when there's like a decent amount of fat in it. So, um, Oh yeah maybe like a steak that's say 10 grams of fat to 25 grams of protein. I would consider that like moderate levels of fat. Um, and I could eat that forever. Like a lot of it, um, same with like chicken thighs and stuff. But when you start going like chicken breast or you start going like, you know, top sirloin round steaks, where it's like the same macros as a chicken breast, more or less. Um, I find those things really hard to get down after like five or six ounces in a sitting.
0: Yeah. Although, I have to say that uh, chicken breast, uh, like fried to a crispy level, yeah, that 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 to me is surprisingly. I wouldn't say it's like addictive, like I don't know, like like cheeses, for example,
2: yeah.
0: But it's um, I I could eat quite a lot of that. Again, I w- it would be cool to run an experiment. Like when would I start resenting eating yeah. the next piece? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> was it? Uh, do you air fry that as well? Uh, yeah. Well, like I used to just microwave it before I had an uh, an air fryer. Uh, so yeah. you, you microwave
2: chicken breasts?
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Like, I'm I'm a freaking peasant when it comes to this. Like, <laughs> I, I'm... Um, yeah, like, like, you cook it in the microwave, or is it pre-cooked, and then you microwave it to reheat it? No, I could take raw chicken breast. like, maybe poke really? it a few times with a fork. If I'm really fancy, uh, cover it with a, another plate so that it's, like, not making a giant mess in the microwave, and leave it in for... Uh, forgetting how many minutes now, but yeah, and it, it becomes cr- wow. it's basically the same as if it was in the air fryer. Honestly, that's insane. I I just like
2: imagine it becoming rubber. Like that's all I can picture in my brain right now. It's like rubber chicken.
0: No, no. Honestly, like the microwave is a surprisingly functional cooking device. Um, mm-hmm. A lot. Uh, yeah, it doesn't get enough credit, um, but it's um, yeah. So like I I think that I could. Um, but probably because of that, probably like at heart, I'm a fat kid and, um, slightly still like just, um, slight eating disorder. Um, if I really dig deep enough. So it's, it's probably because of that, honestly, because I don't, so make no mistake. I don't feel good when I'm eating that much oatmeal that it makes me fat. Um, because I mean, how much oatmeal is? Does that have to be a lot? So, so, much <laughs> so like, so like, yeah. On the GI front, I don't feel great, uh, but I just, it's, it's, but it's, but it's not a pathological thing where I'm like, I'm suffering, but I just. Right, so you, right. I don't look. I actually just like, yeah, I like this kind of sucks, but it just doesn't bother me enough to stop this pleasurable activity for that. It's kind of mm-hmm. like, um, I don't know. I cannot come up with a good analogy but it's um it, it's like that and it's not that surprising if i think about it that for someone like steve it's nauseating to get to that point because like if you think of girls that you know that might be you know like 100 pounds or less like yeah if they eat like 2000 calories which for us is like you know a, a tough diet macro count like they will feel sick eating 2000 calories a day. Right. Like they will eat like a tiny bit of food and they're like, Oh, I'm so full. I'm, I'm sick of this. Um, so yeah, like, um, different people, different appetite, regula- regulatory system, I guess, in their bodies. So do you
2: find when you're, uh, eating excessively like that and becoming a fat kid that you have like uh, body temperature regulation issues while you're oh, trying yeah. to
0: sleep? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's yeah. I freaking hate that. Even now during a cut, like uh, if I, I like eating in the, like more in the evening because socially and uh, logistically it just works out well, but it, I I freaking hate that, that it just makes me sweat like a pig uh, in my sleep.
2: One of the things we've uh, been talking about on my podcast last episode was How since I've been dieting uh, the last nine weeks, like the subjective markers of health in my life have all improved. Mm -hmm. Like for whatever reason, I don't put too much reliance on what my Apple watch tells me, but like my HRV is better than ever. My sleep has been, my sleep quality has been better than ever. And subjectively, like I have more energy throughout the day. I like walk around and I have like this, air of lightness under my feet. Like, oh my God, I'm only 185 pounds. I can move so rapidly and like stairs don't tire me out and like all these things. And so it's been nothing but positive so far yeah. um, since I've been dieting, which people think is just crazy. Cause they're like, when you diet, you're supposed to have all these like down regulations and blah, blah, blah. And I think that ultimately it probably goes back to the fact that we all have like this settling range and that you're just probably like going to experience some of these deleterious effects at the bottom of that range and at the top of that range. And then there's this whole like wide range in the middle where you're, you're, you're at your best. And maybe my best is like in the mid one eighties or something like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's probably actually, I'm um, right now I'm at the low end of that settling range and to uh, probably I just cannot freaking resist going under it. Cause like summer it's um, <laughs> something just switches in my head. Like, it's like a, like a, like a drug addict, like just kind of control myself once I get here. But um, yeah, like if, if I think back to the winter now, it's, it was actually awesome. Like it was such a fun winter. Cause like I was, I was just so indulgent, but still like reasonably like under control. And and I got a little bit heavier than I I would have wanted. And honestly, I think if I had to go back now, the only thing I would change is that I would just be a bit more diligent with the the compensation uh, strategies, which are really not like anything unhealthy. It's uh, just, you know, eating moderate palatability, lower energy density stuff, to satiety basically for, you know, the day before and after maybe or something, or the two days after, uh, an indulgent, like eating out event. And it takes care of the problem largely if, and if I was as indulgent as I was this winter, probably it wouldn't take care of it a hundred percent, but probably I wouldn't have ended up at 92 kilos, but would have ended up at, let's say 89 or or something, which, which, you know, that would be handy now. Uh, yeah. I would be done with this cut like two weeks ago. So
2: it makes the journey a lot easier going down when you have uh, less distance to go.
0: Yeah, yeah. But but that's the kind of thing that makes me want to not stay as lean year round. Cause man, like then I wouldn't be able to do this, what I did this winter. And that was, like, I, I want that every winter. Like I, I just decided that now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe, so for me,
2: like in past winters, I've, I've gone a little bit ham and it's, you know, I've gotten up to over 200 pounds or right around 200 before I start my next cut. Mm-hmm. And it's cause I, I did, I just kind of went indulgent and just said, fuck it. You know, it's the winter, like it doesn't matter type thing. And then this winter, the only thing I really did is, is institute kind of what you said, where after a day of an indulgence, I would have either like a, a day where I fasted until dinner or. Um, something along those lines where basically it would be like, uh, okay, it's uh, it was like a binge restrict cycle, but, but a yeah, little yeah. bit more planned, you know, <laughs> but it was like, it was like, okay, I, I did the things that I wanted to do that. I have the freedom to do because it's the off season. I'm not going to feel bad about it. I just like, I'm going to not eat tomorrow until dinner time and have a, you know, 1300 calorie dinner and the whole thing offsets. You have a 5,000 calorie day and a 1300 calorie day. And eventually you kind of end up at the same place. So, um, yeah. it really wasn't even hard, you know, like I was saying, maybe it's lucky that I've been an athlete and have like a decent grasp on nutrition, but you know, on the day following the really, he- uh, the overeating day, it's just, I don't, I don't feel hungry the next day. So it's not like even that hard to, to, res- yeah. to resist a little bit.
0: Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. I, I also did a lot of this fasting stuff now in the, the winter actually. And that, that definitely helps. Uh, cause like it can definitely like quickly push me into like acting like a full blown, like, eating disorder, uh, victim. (laughs) If I, when I'm lean, But if, if, if you're like at a healthily fluffy body fat percentage, then like you can tolerate that much, much more easily. So
2: I I agree a hundred percent. Yeah, dude. It's like the opposite. Like the perfect example is two nights ago, we went out to dinner with my wife and I had like steak and a big plate of French fries and like fried Brussels sprouts and, you know, a piece of chocolate bread at the end. And, um, and I'm in the middle of my diet, so I obviously shouldn't have done that. And Mm -hmm. where usually if I would have done that in the off season, the next day I would wake up and be like, not hungry I'm just fasting you know I yeah. woke up starving the next day like I woke <laughs> up so hungry my body was like oh that's what we've been missing type thing you know so yeah, so yeah. there's a certainly a different psychology when you're restricting versus when you're in the surplus
0: oh yeah no 100 percent. yeah I might yeah I'll, I'll report in our group because uh, I might do that after this um so see see how much that uh, that uh, makes me not hungry tomorrow um anyways man uh i think we can wrap up here uh because yep. i'm afraid that even my cloud is gonna run out of space uh but okay. but yeah this was fun this was fun and then uh yeah maybe i will even pump it out today who knows why not
2: Oh, all that editing get it done bro
0: yeah yeah so, well, it's <laughs> of editing that needs to be done
2: <laughs> i'll try to send you a picture of that picture that i referenced of me oh yeah yeah post college oh, yeah, yeah. i'll try true, to shoot true, that true. over to you here And you had a couple spots where you wanted to throw pictures in of yourself too.
0: That's very true. That's very true. Sweet. Cool beans, man. Then uh, thanks. Thanks for being on. Yeah, for sure, man. Talk soon. Talk soon. Yep. Oh, fuck.